Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Today, as we continue our sermon series uh, based on the pillars of uh, of our ministry here at Faith, uh, we're focusing on uh, the word fellowship and what that means for us as God's people in this place. And so let me ask you, what, what comes to mind? What do you think of when you hear that word fellowship? Do you think, like me, automatically of food? Lent and Advent meals and church picnics, coffee and treats before Bible study, gemutlichkeit, Do you think about certain times and places where God's people are gathered together outside of worship just to hang out and to do life together? Can it happen in in homes as well as in the narthex? Can it take place in a park as well as the Grand Hall upstairs? What makes, though, Christian fellowship different from any other kind of fellowship that you or I might enjoy. And no, it's not the pitch-ins and the jello salads. Do you ever think about that? What makes Christian fellowship different from, say, the fellowship that you would enjoy, oh, say, tailgating for an IU or a Purdue football game? I mean, Rightly said, you could pick any type of gathering together with other people as, as a fellowship, right? I mean, you share a fellowship with the people that you work with or that you're in school with. You share a fellowship with those that you run or walk with, say, like you did yesterday at Hoosiers Outrun Cancer, or if you go to a gym. You share in fellowship with those who gather around whatever common experience or things that you do together. That's a fellowship, right? Think about fellowship for a moment. Isn't it true in any of those fellowships that you have in mind that there are people who are inside that fellowship and then there's people who are outside, right? So if you are having a fellowship with, well, say, the Hoosiers... Well, you don't want to have fellowship with those boilermakers. You're in the inside, and those people over there, they're on the outside. What makes Christian fellowship different, though? Well, if you said Jesus, well, then you're on to something. Because it's Jesus Christ, actually, who makes Christian fellowship different because it is fellowship that is rooted in Him. I want us to look at the Gospel reading from Mark again for today. And I want to start where we left off last Sunday in our Gospel reading, in the earlier part of Mark 9 there. Jesus is is with his disciples. They're heading to Capernaum. And the disciples have been trying to figure out who was greatest in the kingdom. Who's greatest among us here? And Jesus corrects their understanding by educating them about his kingdom. The greatest, he teaches, is one who is the lowly servant. And for an object lesson, Jesus 
points to a child whom he has embraced in a holy hug, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, we've been taught that that this is Jesus teaching his disciples from every age the importance of having a childlike faith. And that would be the case if we were reading from Matthew's gospel. But in Mark's gospel, the focus isn't the child's faith. It's about Jesus' relationship to the child. It's not about illustrating how a child clings to his parent for every good thing and that we should in turn cling to Jesus. Here, Jesus is illustrating how he clings to one whom others see or deem least. Jesus is revealing the upside-down nature of his kingdom. He's revealing that he has not come for the great and the mighty, but he has come instead for the weak and the powerless. He's revealing that the God of all creation is not ashamed to associate his great and glorious name with those the ancient world deemed unimpressive or unimportant. Ultimately, he's talking about fellowship. What? You say, there's no jello salad in this? Where's the pigeon? Well, it's not in this text. But here we begin to discover the true nature of Christian fellowship. And that is in the person of Christ Jesus, God humbles himself to join in fellowship with his creation. The greater has fellowship with the lesser. And subsequently, his service makes the lesser the greater. Today we get a continuation of that conversation. We get that education of a disciple as we hear the words again of our Lord. It's John's voice that we hear this time, not Peter, but he's piping up and saying, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he was not following us. Boy, doesn't that sound like John is just trying to change the subject? sounds like John might not be comfortable with Jesus' teaching concerning his fellowship with the least among them. And so to me, it looks like John is trying to shift the conversation to another point of fellowship. It's as if John was saying, look, we have fellowship with you. You commissioned us to cast out demons, but we don't know this guy over here. He's doing what you told us to do. And so we tried to stop him because... He isn't in fellowship with you, and he isn't in fellowship with us. Boy, doesn't that just sound all too familiar? I mean, don't we take offense when when someone tries to muscle in on our so-called turf, our groups, our cliques, our fellowships? It happens in our non-Christian fellowships all the time, and it might sound something like this. Well... He's my friend, and he can't be your friend, too. Or, this is my team well before you were even born. How can you even begin to know the history of what has gone on here? That sounds pretty selfish and petty, because it is. 
And how much worse is it when it comes to our Christian fellowships? Well, we might not speak it like that, but our actions can show it. Lack of invitation to something at church because, oh, we don't think that they would ever fit in. Or failure even just to pray for someone outside the church that that they might find fellowship within it. That sounds a little bit like John in Mark's gospel. How does Jesus respond to that? Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The one who is not against us is for us. What a beautiful response by our Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus isn't denying that the disciples have fellowship with Jesus. In fact, he's talking about uh, the way that other people are receiving in his name. So he's talking about fellowship. But, and, and he wouldn't be referring to the fact that he, wasn't, he wouldn't be referring to uh, us in, in that sense if he wasn't talking about fellowship. But instead, Jesus is leaving room for others, others who are outside, to join in fellowship with Jesus and with the disciples. The event is similar to what we read in Numbers. Moses and the elders are, are prophesying after meeting together in the tabernacle, but there's these two men, Eldad and Medad, who remain in the camp, and the Spirit of God uh, was upon them, and they're prophesying as well. But Joshua hears of it, and he pleads with Moses to make them stop. But Moses says to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them? Joshua was concerned with this special place of fellowship that Moses and the elders enjoyed, and he sought to keep it a closed fellowship. But that's not what Moses wanted, because that's not what God wanted. God wants to expand his fellowship with others. That's good news for us. God wants to have fellowship with us. That's why he humbled himself. He took up our flesh and dwelt with us so that he might bridge that gap. The greater came to to serve the lesser. The Holy One gave himself for the sinner. In fact, his service went so far as to give his life in exchange for ours so that we might enjoy true fellowship with him and he with us. See, if not for Jesus if not for the forgiveness of our sins that he has come to offer, then we would have remained outside the fellowship with the, true, with, uh, with the triune God. But by faith in Christ alone, he has brought us into an everlasting fellowship with God and with all those who trust in him. And look, it involves food. <laughs> Think back at how many times Jesus was found at table with sinners. 
Didn't this enrage the Pharisees who thought that they were greater, more holy than anyone? And that anyone who else who is holy should not eat with the lesser or the sinners? Beside this, recall how our Lord took bread and wine and blessed it and gave it to them to eat and to drink, saying, this is my body, this is my blood. Here he institutes a, a meal of special fellowship with him. A meal for sinners, whereby the the greater is serving the lesser, whereby the sinner is being made a saint and joining in fellowship with one another. This meal has served as the center point of Christian fellowship because in it Christ is present for us. And here he deals with our sin. He makes us his holy people in fellowship with him. And in so doing, he creates a true and a lasting fellowship among those who break sacred bread together. Even more, it is Christ Jesus who creates this fellowship with people who would otherwise have nothing in common with one another except for our sin. Notice that Jesus doesn't ever say, well, I've come to only call Hoosiers myself. Oh, no, I've, I've come only to call the Boilermakers to myself. No, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, I've come only to call the white men from Europe to myself. doesn't say that either. Jesus says, I have come to call sinners to myself. And because of my sacrifice for their sin, I enter into fellowship with them. I have paid the price. I have atoned for their sin. I have washed them in my blood. And now I join into fellowship with them and they with me. And because of me, it doesn't matter where you have come from, what your interests or your hobbies are, whether you are young or old, whether you are a child, a woman, or a man, I have come for you. That you might have true fellowship with one another in my name. You know, when we as a congregation look at the the, the target for this fellowship pillar of our ministry, I think this type of fellowship is at its center. The target is to unite all members of faith in a closer community with each other and share a closer walk with Jesus through additional fellowship activities that will encourage more invitations of community members outside of our congregation and become aware of ways to help, serve, and or witness to others. The fellowship that we enjoy at faith is first and foremost a fellowship with Jesus Christ. And because of Christ and in Christ, we have fellowship with one another. A holy communion with God and with man. And the goals and the targets of this pillar are to serve and to facilitate making connections with one another. And especially with those who are not currently in Christian fellowship with us. That is to say, who are not worshiping the triune God by receiving the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The target and the goals 
are, uh, for this pillar are set in view of inviting and of providing opportunity for true Christian fellowship to grow. They share in the spirit of Moses' words. Would not that all God's people share in the spirit? And of course, Jesus' own words, the one who is not against us is for us, desiring that others would share in a greater everlasting fellowship with God and man. You know, as this is God's desire for us recorded in the scriptures, well, by God's word and spirit, it's our desire as well. It has been the desire of this people of faith from the beginning, some 58 years ago when this congregation was founded. And it's been the desire of the people of faith as this larger sanctuary was constructed and dedicated some 30 years ago. And I tell you the truth, it will continue to be the desire of the people of faith as we share in fellowship with God and with one another as we look forward into the future. For there is a day that's coming when the fellowship that we share with God and with one another will reach its fulfillment. On that day, there will be no more jealousy or selfishness or pettiness. All God's people will enjoy perfect fellowship with Christ the King and all who have trusted in Him for the forgiveness of our sin. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Tears will be wiped away. And look, there's going to be food. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine. A feast of food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the, ca- the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is, cover- that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. This is the feast of victory for our God. Alleluia. Amen. And come, Lord Jesus. May the peace of our God, the peace that surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.